Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 224. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 170 to the Family and Friends, which also happens to be their eight-year anniversary episode. And as soon as I heard that title, my first reaction was, oh, they lost another intern. And that's exactly what it was. <laughs> but I thought, Joseph Fink at the beginning of the episode had said something about you know, they had originally had ideas for what the eight-year anniversary show was going to be, but then all of this weirdness and terrible things in the country happened, and instead they wrote this episode, which I think, yeah, it's a lot about change and loss, I guess. Yeah, and being useful to people and looking back on a life well-lived, which I guess is a kind of hopeful way, but it was a pretty downbeat episode, I thought. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, so do we want to recap it first? Or do we want to do a quick sit rep before we go? Uh, let's recap it first and then dive into the sit rep. So okay. but sounds like a plan. First thing, though, I wanted to mention, they're apparently going to be doing a live performance, kind of like a live streamed performance of their classic live show condos, which I am all about that because that oh, remains yeah. one of my favorite of their live shows. But it's apparently something you have to get tickets to. So we'll have to look into that a little bit and see if we can uh, make that happen. Yeah. One of the things, though, that I think I like about the live shows, though, car going by, I like hearing the audience reactions. And I think that's probably not going to happen with a live stream. I mean, I'm still going to listen to it. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right, because I think you and Hannah may have listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the radio show Mm -hmm. that they were doing without an audience. And the difference was pretty amazing you said yeah it's pretty striking i mean it's still interesting but you don't realize how much you're waiting for the laughs and the vague reactions from audience members until it's just not there anymore and you're like oh which is why it's been so nice to listen to no such thing as a fish because they hardly ever have audiences for their shows exactly live shows which i like the studio recordings better anyway well no such thing as a fish and the uh, worst foot forward podcast do very well with these remote recording sessions Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. they've Mm -hmm. got it down yeah they really do So we were talking about it and we figured this isn't really going to take all that much to recap. It's another one of those episodes that you probably should listen to it um, to get a better idea because it's it's very poetic, um, but it's basically talking about... Cecil's very first intern when he first started working at Nightvale Radio. And interestingly enough, Cecil still does not remember how the previous host, Leonard, Mm -hmm. left, which according to that, I think it was cassettes, that episode. Yeah, um, he was, Leonard was killed pretty messily in a very horrifying car accident, although Leonard himself, as he was recording that episode, did not remember that. Right, right. But then anytime Cecil would talk about like some kind of future when he wouldn't be at the radio station anymore. I couldn't tell if he just didn't know how that would happen or if he just really doesn't want to say something like, you know, one of these days when I die, because he just very much stumble <laughs> over those words every single time. But yeah, uh, his intern had been several years younger than him when he started, but it didn't stay that way. No, and he decided to leave, uh, Victor did, because he felt that his future wasn't in radio, which kind of baffled Cecil that anyone say, mm-hmm. what, not work in radio? But... Um, I Victor left. He moved to a place called Fresno. He mm-hmm. made a real life for himself. He had a job working with troubled teens. Yeah, and lived for a very long time and then retired to Nightvale to find Cecil was the exact same age he was when he left. And I don't think right. that really seemed to phase Victor all that much because I guess everybody else in Nightvale 
probably would have been in the same age, too. Yeah. I mean, there was an episode, uh, I guess a month or two ago, where time has started working in Night Vale again. So people are aging now, but they didn't age for a really long time. So he's now several decades older than Cecil. And then once he retired, he came back to Night Vale to be kind of closer to his family and everything. But he was still pretty busy. I mean, he still counsels teens. He worked with Dana over at City Hall. He was a lifeguard over at the Night Vale waterfront and kept a lot of people from drowning, which is really impressive considering the fact that there's no water on Night Vale. It's a landlocked area, but whatever. <laughs> he even worked as an assistant for Carlos doing science, which even Ooh. Carlos was impressed. But yeah, he had this long, full life and then he passed away quietly of old age, surrounded by all his friends and families. The end. Really, that is actually the end. We did get a weather in there, which was Joseph Fink. What was the name of the song that Joseph Fink was singing? Uh, it was A List for Spring. So very folksy, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Acoustic guitar and Joseph Fink singing. So there you go. It was fine. We also had Traffic, which was talking about a song that the sailors sing about an island in the West where a sailor can go to finally find his rest and that was pretty much it as well. It's like not, not a whole lot of detail in a lot of these things we're recapping here. No, no. We had some t-shirt moments. I thought they were talking about, you know, Cecil went on about death for a while. This was a very death-heavy episode. And he talked about how Carlos, you know, there's nothing more scientific than death, but Carlos still doesn't like the fact of it, which he tries to sort of reconcile in his mind. And he said, death is a surprise that our whole life spends telegraphing. And I'm like, yeah, he's not wrong. No, no. We also had sponsor. Oh, we <laughs> it's, did have a sponsor. <laughs> it was it's White Claw with their brand new line of non-alcoholic alcoholic seltzer beverages. So mm-hmm. if you really like White Claw, but you know you'd kind of like to have a fizzy drink without all of that alcohol, well then they've got the new non-alcoholic alcoholic beverage for you. So for the first time, you can have seltzer without having booze. <laughs> if you'd like to burp without getting drunk, this is for you. I know for a fact that White Claw at some point in their life is going to have to release a brand of non-alcoholic White Claw. It's just, oh, yeah. it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Oh, yeah. No, and fine, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and other than that, that was kind of it. You know, it was sort of playing off of the idea that in past episodes when we've lost an intern, it's always been very, you know, kind of brushing it off like, oh, to the family and friends of intern so-and-so, our condolences and everything. And this actually did end with that line. But you could feel that this time it was actually a heartfelt thing that they were saying. So it's the opposite of every other announcement about an intern dying in Nightville. This one actually meant something. Yeah, every other time it's like to the family and friends and you know that they've just been eaten by wolves or died in an avalanche or got sure. zapped out of reality by orange juice. Isn't that yeah, what happened yeah, yeah. at one point to intern Maureen? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, And that was it for Night Vale. We had a brief little ad about a book and then we had the Proverbs and then we went straight to a commercial for the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air, which we did not listen to. We're, We're still not listening to. Guys, if you're listening to our podcast and you have listened to the what the orbiting human circus of the air Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you think it's worthwhile can you tell us because we haven't listened to more than the first two episodes so it's possible that it's really amazing and we've just never tried it again yeah yeah and but there's so many good things to consume more on that in a few minutes uh let's just jump right here before we get into that to the weekly sit rep Limetown Lager. Mm. Ah, nice. I have, I don't have any beer in the house, so I have a vodka orange juice. Ooh, very nice. I stick on the glass, yeah. Everything, same old, same old. 
things are opening up all over the place, but we're also seeing the numbers still going up. So I, I don't know. I, I keep seeing a few people going, guys, we probably need to slow down on this. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to a restaurant or a bar for a while. And I still wear a mask when I go out talking to a friend of the podcast, Jada, who's in Georgia. She says almost nobody wears masks out there. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, North Carolina, I'd say when we go out to the grocery store, it's about half and half, half the people wearing masks, half not. Um, North Carolina numbers. Yeah. We're, we're seeing a jump in the number of infections. I go to the Worldometer's website to check the stats, and I don't know how much this means, but for a while there, North Carolina was like 19th in the country for you know the state with the highest number of infections. We're up to 15th now, but yeah, again, yeah. it's not a real metric that means a whole lot. What I really want to get a hold of is the hospitalizations and are the facilities being overwhelmed or getting close right. to it, or what do we need to do to make sure that doesn't happen? Exactly. And I hope that we don't see any spikes in the numbers because of the protests, because the protests are still going on. And I really think they should still go on. And I, I do want to go to one of the in person ones, I did get to go to one of the caravan ones, which is a whole bunch of people we all got in our cars and drove through several neighborhoods in San Diego, honking our horns and waving signs. And that was cool. But I, I really I want to go to an in person one, because I feel like those ones mean more. But for a while there, I was scared because it seemed like violence kept breaking out. Um, and then I was sort of nervous because I'm like, it's a lot of people in a very enclosed space and a lot of people shouting and particles in the air. But I still feel like the protest because of the death of George Floyd, I think it's worth the risk. Yeah. It is. And I mean, we're still seeing unarmed black men getting gunned down by the police for pretty much yep. no reason. And yeah, yep. and it's, it, this isn't a new problem. Everyone's treating it like, why are you suddenly getting mad? Well, it's been 400 years of some, you know, pretty sizable inequality. And, you know, and I don't know what the answer is. And there's all this discussion about defund the police and people saying, no, we can't do that. And I'm here thinking, well, there's got to be more done now than we've ever tried to do before, because it's pretty right. obvious that what's happening is that the bad apples are being protected all up and down the corporate ladder in, in yeah. policing. Yeah. So something's yeah. got to change, has to. We got the debate going on about statues coming down, which I like the suggestion that, you know, everybody's going on about, we can't take the statues down, we can't erase our history. History. And a lot of people, our sister Hannah included, have pointed out, you know what's another way to erase history? Putting up a statue. Exactly. And if you want to have a really good watch, she also recommended this. Uh, I think it's, what is it, last week with John Oliver or just Google John Oliver Confederate statues and everything. It's like a 22-minute episode where he talks all about these statues and how many of them... They, it's not like these statues have been up since the Civil War. Some of them were put up in like the... 40s. Some of them were put up in the 60s. You know, these are recent things. And it's all like trying to kind of celebrate this Civil War when the Civil War was started because people did not want to give up their slaves. And if you believe something else, you probably need to research it a bit more. But anyway, um, I like the idea that fine, let's put them in museums. You know, there's plenty of statues that can exist to remind people of people's opinions about the war. Fine, whatever. But right now, they're a slap in the face to African Americans to say, you know, hey, we thought being in this war was a good idea. So your kind could still work for our kind. So, anyway, well, if you want to check out Ursula Vernon's Twitter feed, she did this really great thread where she talked about 
when she was growing up in Oregon, I think it was either her mother or both of her parents were part of this statue preservation committee, which oh was to go around and document public art everywhere and to see, you know, how is it being taken care of? Does it need more work? Does it even need to stay? All this and just all of this wonderful random stuff, like a gigantic ass statue of a bird somewhere, like no reason. <laughs> but she said the real funny thing is that so many of these statues, like commemorating Civil War historical events, nobody cared about. Absolutely nobody cared about. And if you suggested that public money, that taxpayer money should be used to preserve them, people would have lost their friggin' minds. Right. But now, now that it's in, you know, the media or whatever, and somebody's saying, well, it's really nasty to this group of people if we keep immortalizing these people who were fighting for slavery, and suddenly, oh my God, we've got to preserve these statues. Nobody cared before. It's obvious yeah. that it's just... I don't know what it's obvious of. I probably shouldn't be judgy, but damn. Oh, but I am judgy. I'm really judgy. And also, you got these big white guys, like, clustering around the statues with their rifles to keep people from taking it down. Just imagine for a second if it was a group of African Americans clustered around something with guns. How long do you think that would happen before the police came by and shot them all down? Yeah, I mean, it would be ridiculous. it would be so much faster. I mean, everybody is pointing out the difference between the reopen America protests where people came armed and yeah, yeah, the yeah. Black Lives Matter protests, which in a lot of cases are peaceful, and the police are just going in and spraying tear gas directly in people's faces. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I just want, I just, oh, I just, and also when I say that I think going to these protests is worth the risk of getting infected, I do not mean if you are immunocompromised, you should go to these protests or taking care of an elderly member or elderly yourself or whatever. I suddenly realized when I said that, I'm like, let me just put a caveat on it. <laughs> I guess it'd be worth it if you're completely healthy and not taking care of somebody who's sick. Yeah, sure, it would be worth it. But um, I, I don't think that anybody should go to these if they're not comfortable. But I, I do think they're really important. So I don't know. I'm being wishy-washy here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still wondering what Christmas this year is going to look like. Because, oh, I mean, God. everybody keeps talking about, oh, well, it won't last that long. And, oh, well, when it gets hot, the uh, virus will die down and everything. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe what we need to do is fly you and Cricket out here to our house, and then we all socially isolate and like self quarantine ourselves in our house, Mm. and then we drive everybody down to Florida, so then we could hang out with mom and dad and Hannah and know that we hadn't you know had any exposure to anybody in a couple of weeks. What do you think of that? It's entirely possible. It really is. Though it would also mean being stuck in the car with Cricket for 12 hours. So I don't know if you're okay with that. I'd be curious to see how Cricket gets along with your guys' cats. Well, you also suggested flying down to Florida, but then you getting a hotel room somewhere. and Also a possibility. Isolating yeah, yeah. for a couple of weeks. So who yes. knows? It's you all... never can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. And... God, giant ass truck going by in the street. Of it's course, Monday night. I don't know why. Anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, that's the that's the sit rep as we see it. So on to slightly more positive news. <laughs> okay, first of all, I finally finished watching the first season of The Good Place. I told myself I was going to sit down and watch it, and I did. And oh my goodness, the ending of that season is a complete mind fork. It really, really, really super is. I just ah. Uh, and it, and it really stays, I've seen, I guess, what is it, three seasons now? Mm-hmm. I know the final season hasn't hit Netflix yet, but I've seen all but the final season. And it stays good. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had not realized until I got to that episode where Chahani, who's actually Jason, uh, and Janet got married, and Eleanor oh. and Tahani sitting in a chair watching the ceremony and making commentary, and Janet asking if there were any objections, and both Eleanor and Tahani, oh my god, of course we object. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's Everybody is so good. The writing is so good. And even though it gets super dark in places, because it is all about people dying and going to places... Um, but it's still so funny and so good-hearted. It is. It is. And my Chidi, just his reactions to everything, his reactions specifically to Eleanor are always wonderful. I mean, yes. him telling Eleanor that she shouldn't take credit for doing something that's just common courtesy all the time. And he said, you wouldn't take credit in kindergarten for learning not to throw sand at people. And she's like, hey, throwing sand is the best way to put out a vodka fire. And Chidi said, how would you know that? <laughs> I like Jason, though. I think it's so like he starts out, you've got this idea of this Buddhist monk in your head. And then as soon as he starts talking, and he's like this punk from Jacksonville. I mean, I just I love every comment that comes out of his mouth. And he has some funny stuff in the next couple seasons. Does he really? Oh, good. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm still amazed at the whole idea that the four of them are the only people in that entire area who are not actually hired by the bad place to be there. And that mm-hmm. mind-blowing at this point. <laughs> My God. And I, and when, she, when Eleanor told Michael that she knew that they were all actually in the bad place, but he was only pretending it to be a good place, and he smiled, he said, ah, oh, I can't believe you figured it out. And then other Eleanor came in, and she starts giving this speech about love to Chidi, and Michael's like, no, it's fine, they already figured out and I'm just watching this going are they playing along are they faking are they like going along with Eleanor's idea and you realize oh my god no they're actually serious this is the bad place isn't it great oh god that's just <laughs> such a head trip I loved and Ted Danson who knew I would who like knew? Ted Danson more in this role than I liked him in Cheers holy crap <laughs> so just brilliant yep yeah, so looking forward to the next couple of seasons yeah, yeah. Uh, what I have been rewatching lately is Hannibal just hit Netflix. Yay! Oh my god. Oh wow. I'm at least three episodes in again and it's so pretty. Holy cow. It really is. It's just it's addictive. I've got that puzzle that Hannah loaned to me that she had put together, uh, the Jackson Pollock one that is gonna be like oh, so nice. finicky. And I'm just like I have got my little puzzle transporting thing so I can fold it up and put it away. Every time I watch Hannibal, I'm bringing that out. I am just working on puzzles and watching Hannibal and maybe oh, drinking some beer. That's right. Boy, the food on that show. I mean, we've talked about it before on this show. We'll put links to like the Hannibal episode where we talked about it. But my, I always forget how gorgeous the food is. I seriously need to make more things out of that Hannibal cookbook. At this point, I've oh. made the Asabuco a few times because it's just that tasty. But I need to make more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he knows how to set up a scene. And just, I we got to the episode where um, Jack is walking away and Will is looking up at the suspended form of a murder victim who's kind of been like mid-made into an angel hanging up there. And it's just, it's like a painting. It it's is. so pretty. Oh, it is. It is I really think that was the episode when I saw that. I was like, okay, now I am definitely going to have to keep watching this because that was yeah. just so startlingly pretty. Oh, so nice. So nice. Later seasons started to get a little wobbly, I remember, but I seem to remember the first season is solid all the way through. All the way through, yeah. And yeah, I mean, 
the last season did feel I didn't like the bad guy very much in the last one. Right. I think it was just right. because he was there was nothing there. I don't think he was just a bad guy. Yeah. And even then, though, even when it's a wobbly episode or a wobbly season, there's still some bright points in it. And we're going to get Julian Anderson. Yay! So, <laughs> so last thing we wanted to talk about. <laughs> Laura Olympus, the Yay! final episode of the first season. And I love that we've got seasons in webcomics now. But yeah, that <laughs> dropped yesterday. And I, wow. I finished reading it right before we started recording. We're going to have to put a spoiler warning on here because we have to talk about some things. So if you haven't finished reading the final episode of season one of Laura Olympus, go read that first because, whoa, holy cow. Because there's always been this question through the entire first season that Persephone has two names. It's Cor, I think that's how it's pronounced. Cor or Corea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Persephone. And Persephone apparently means bringer of death, doesn't it? Is right. that Which is actually, yeah, that's uh, that's brought up in The Wicked and the Divine. She's Persephone and people keep talking about how she's the bringer of death. And that's when I looked it up. I'm like, oh, son of a gun. That's what it means. Yeah. So the final, uh, the season finale, we find out what exactly happened to give her that name. And it was mm-hmm. that... Well, I mean, she had had a huge dust up with Demeter, and it was because Demeter wants to keep her safe and wants to have complete control to make sure nothing bad happens to her. And of course, that's not okay with Persephone. It wouldn't be okay with anybody, but it's just at the moment when Persephone feels the most powerless, her two flower nymph companions die. They just disintegrate in front of her. And it turns out it was because somebody was harvesting flowers on sacred ground. And I loved the way she put it. She was like, every time you kill a flower, you kill a flower nymph. You are holding my sister's carcass in your arms. And the man's holding this big bundle of flowers he's uprooted. Oh, Oh, boy. Did you think for a second there, because the flower nymphs come towards her and they're, they're, you know, they're chattering, they're happy. And she's, of course, furious and everything. And they ask her something like, you know, what do you want? And she said, I just want you to leave me alone. And she turns around and one of the flower nymphs just has made this sound. And she's just like half her face has been blasted away. I thought Persephone had killed her. I did too. I thought for sure that was what happened, that that was why she was so horrified. But no, no, it turned out it was somebody plucking flowers on sacred ground, which, you know, in the days of the gods of Olympus, you didn't do that. No. And also somebody pointed out, I forget if it was in the comments or I, of course, started looking on Tumblr and Pinterest and all sorts of different things looking for fan art. And somebody pointed out that one of the reasons why she's so gutted is these two nymphs have died and the last thing she ever said to them was was she wanted them to leave her alone. I mean, that was the last words they ever heard from her and it's like, oh my God. Holy so God. of course what she does is she goes out and she kills the villagers that were picking flowers on sacred ground and then she destroys the village and she kills every one of the villagers one by one and there's this, oh. I mean, she causes this huge thorned tree to grow through a building in the village and then she's just stabbing the villagers onto the thorns one at a time <gasps> oh, wow and if all that wasn't enough that all happened quite a long time ago apparently but we immediately flash forward to the future where it's Minth and 
Thetis. Um, Thetis and uh, um, uh, Thanatos. I think it's Thanatos, yeah. I think it's Thanatos, whoever is always going head to head with Hermes and everything. And they've gone, they've found this out and they've gone straight to Zeus to tell on Persephone because, yeah, sure, gods kill mortals all the time and they don't really care very much, but it's also, she didn't have permission to do this mm-hmm. one. And also Demeter went to Helios, who saw everything, and worked with Helios to cover it all up. Now, that was what I was wondering about, because we saw in one of the episodes that Demeter offered Helios a deal for something. Yes, yes. And then, of course, you know, Minth and Thetis and Thanatos tell Zeus that Demeter covered up what Persephone did. Right. I wasn't entirely sure that those two things were related because Helios even said there's not really much that Demeter can offer him because he's a slave and he has nothing. Well, it could be that that would explain why he told them. I mean, he may have worked out a deal with her to not tell anybody, but as soon as somebody else came along, he's like, sure, fine, whatever. Because that's what I was wondering. If Demeter worked with him to cover it up, then why did he go and tell them anyway? So, yeah. And I'm still wondering, because Thanatos went to talk to Helios, and Helios mentioned seeing Persephone do something. Well, the next time we see Thanatos, he's going to get Minth from the office where, you know, she's talking with Persephone, and he's like, we gotta go, we gotta go. And he's bandaged everywhere, like his arm and his face and everything is all bandaged. So you got to wonder what Helios did to him and why. Yeah. And then Persephone, uh, I guess it was either last episode or the episode before, she left a note saying she'd gone away, but she clearly hasn't gone home. So we currently don't know exactly where she is right now. She's not with Hades because Hades just got finished watching the tape of the exact moment when he first met her, which he hadn't realized was the first time because he was blind drunk at the time. Yeah, he did find out though that um, the reason he got all infatuated with her and Demeter found out about that and Demeter had been trying to get him to sober up so he could go home. The minute she finds out that he was infatuated with her daughter, she's like, Let's have some more alcohol. Yeah, yeah, so she covered that up too, covered up Hades' mm-hmm. meeting. And it was another thing when Persephone and Demeter were fighting because Demeter wanted to go away to college and Demeter was like, nope, you're going to commute to college, but you're still going to live here and you don't have any say mm-hmm. about that. And Persephone said, I wish Zeus would marry me off to some random god so I would have a reason to not be here that you couldn't control. And mm-hmm. I think that may also play into it a little bit. But now what I wonder is... When Persephone was first talking to Hades, the conversation that he can't remember, and she was asking him if there was any way that he could bring somebody back to life because it was somebody, a mortal that died, and it wasn't their fault. Was she trying to undo what she did with the village? I'm almost positive because you got to figure everybody who has to cross the river to get into paradise or wherever you know if they don't have the coin they have to sit on the banks of the river for a hundred years you got to figure most of those people who died who knows they probably didn't get buried not if she killed the entire city so did she go down to the river with the coins specifically because there'd be a lot of the people that she killed who were hanging out there i need to take a look at that because i could see that the spirits there were desperate to get the coins but i wonder if there was some hint in there that the ones that were mad at her that were trying to drag her down were they ones that were mad because she was the one that killed them was that implied in that i couldn't tell i it's either that or they were just mad because they were desperate and she ran out of coins and you know that's what i thought it was at the time but now there appears to be i mean she was it's 
She's not a Mary Sue. She definitely has her imperfections. And going down there by herself was definitely, at the time, I was like, God, that was the stupidest thing ever. What the hell did you think was going to happen? But if she's desperate, if she knows how bad it was, and she always feels bad about mortals dying. So if it wasn't for the fact that her sister just disintegrated in front of her face, I say sister, the nymphs are... They're kind of her sisters, I suppose, but kind of not. Yeah. They're different than humans. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, my goodness, such pretty art. So pretty oh, all over the place. Lord. I am just, I, I really want the artist to, like, have some rest and enjoy herself and not get burnt out and hurry up, August. I know, August. That's when, that's when season two starts. Uh, and then I believe it's been confirmed that it is going to be an animated. Oh, good. Oh, my I, goodness. I, I can't I wait. <laughs> I think it's amazing that we got... Like, I found out those two things simultaneously. One, I discovered this cartoon, and two, found out that they were going to get their own animated series. I'm like, this is amazing. I am still kicking myself for reading this as fast as I did, because now it's going to take a long time before we get the next one. I'm like, oh, if I had managed to space it out a little bit, I wouldn't have caught up on the actual day that the new episode dropped. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Another thing, I've, of course, started looking for fan art, and I'm already making a collection. So we will definitely have a fan art gallery on the site. Oh, yes. Uh, We should do that this Friday, I think. Yeah, I think we definitely will. Um, The funny thing, though, is as beautiful as it is, it just can't quite be as beautiful as the comic itself. Because the comic is pretty special. That artwork is just lovely. Yeah, it is just kudos. Rachel Smythe is the name of the creator. So kudos to her. Very awesome. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the comic book reviews, the movie reviews, the photo galleries. Oh, hey, we do have a login now for Hugh. He is our movie reviewer, courtesy of Instagram. So if you go onto the site and you can actually click on his name in the byline for his movie reviews and see all of the movie reviews that he's written for the site. So he's got a lot. He reviews very new stuff a lot of the times. He goes back and reviews old stuff. He just did a review of Jurassic. Jurassic Park because the other day it was the 27th anniversary of that 27 my god I I just I I just saw Sam Neill on Twitter posted a video of him having a conversation with a bird which is he was he he was whistling and having the bird whistling back at him then he tried to change the uh, tune a little bit and the bird just kept whistling back what he'd been saying before and I think his tweet was something like we were having a very good conversation until I changed the subject (laughs) He's wonderful. Uh, And that is one of the movies that's on our list of potential watch party movies, which is another thing you can find on pixeladygeek.com when we do our tri-state watch party and we get all sarcastic with things. We watched North by Northwest last time. And what did you think of that? I enjoyed it. It was very fun. And it's also like, you know, what is that? um, uh, Is it a 1950s movie? Yeah. Yeah. 1950, like 1959 or something really accessible. I've just got this idea in my head that if a movie came out before I was born, I'm probably not really going to connect to it. No, I liked it. It was fun. Wonderful. So much fun. Nathan and I tried. We'd seen that movie and they were showing it at the art museum one year. So we went to try to see it and it got rained out. And we must have tried two or three times. And I mean, like one time we got rained out so bad, we were all like 
huddling in the entranceway to the museum, hoping that lightning wouldn't come underneath the uh, overhang there. It was bad. But one year, we finally got to see it. And when they did the announcement ahead of time before the movie started, they said that up to this point that year, every one of the movies had gotten rained out except that one. So you're like, yes, the curse is broken. But oh, my God, that one line about the the housekeeper had to be trapped for five minutes until I realized she still had that same silly gun of yours. Oh, favorite line of that because they set it so up good. beautifully. <laughs> they really did. They really. I mean, as soon as you happen, you want to smack your forehead, going, "Oh, of course, it was the same Thank gun." Oh my God. <laughs> so good. And then that final scene with the train going in the tunnel <laughs> in your face, Hayes Code. <laughs> God, not subtle at all. I'm amazed they got it past the censor. Oh sure. Oh sure. <laughs> if anybody oh, could try man. that, it would be Hitchcock and get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, that's uh, all. All of that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. No idea what we're going to talk about next week or the week after that, as the case may be. We've kind of been gone on uh, every other week's schedule, which is okay, considering the fact that all of our like official descriptions of this podcast does say that it's like a bi-weekly podcast. That's so. fine. That's fine. We just give yeah. people more than what they thought they were asking for. That's exactly right. But I'm sure we'll figure out something to talk about one way or the other. We will talk to everybody. Mm. All right. Maybe in one week, maybe in two weeks. <laughs> talk to you later. <laughs> 